Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Kat Chatfield, Quality Improvement Editor at the BMJ. And I'm Abby Rimmer, Careers Editor at the BMJ. And we're here today talking to Rachel Pilling, Consultant Ophthalmologist, and Dan Wadsworth, Transformation Manager. And they're both at Bradford Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. They're here today to talk to us about their social movement, 15 seconds, 30 minutes. Rachel, perhaps you could start by telling us about what 15S30M actually is. Hi Kat. Um, So it's a social movement which aims to reduce frustration and increase joy in the workforce by asking people to think of a a short 15 second uh, mission that they could do that would save someone else half an hour. So it's not about rewriting protocols or making big change. It's about something that everyone from uh, porter to chief executive can do on a day-to-day basis that would just make things a bit easier for everyone. Just to give you some examples of some of the missions, which we like to call them, that staff can do, is um, a mixture of things. So something as simple as just remembering or taking 15 seconds to update your contact details on your email signature. We found in Bradford there was a surprising number of people who didn't have that. So I had to spend, or everyone else had to spend 30 minutes or more tracking down somebody if they just spent 15 seconds updating their number. Or as the wards have a lot of electronic equipment, battery powered, um, sometimes the nurses that were coming on shift to begin their day had a computer with no power on it, rather than just spending 15 seconds to remember to plug that machine in at the end of the shift would have saved a lot more time and increased a lot more joy in work. It's interesting that you mentioned joy at work. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, when we were becoming, when we thought about the idea of 15S30M, we were really conscious to make sure that this was something to increase joy and reduce frustration. Um, we'd read up on a, a lots of different papers to kind of look at the evidence base of joy in work, such as the IHI uh, white paper on joy in work, which really touches on uh, you know the burnout of staff in the NHS these days, and there's a real evidence base behind creating joy in work and having the benefits of that can have on staff such as getting a better culture, uh, better staff engagement, performance and reducing sickness levels across the NHS. We think of it as the third arm of uh, quality improvement. So there's patient safety, doing it right. There's cost effectiveness, doing it well. And then there's joy in work, which we say is doing it with a smile. And there's loads of evidence to show that if you don't get joy in work right, you won't achieve what you could achieve in the in the top two and uh, developing people improving care has a real focus on workforce helen bevan's work about large-scale change underpins that until we rethink how we do change it's not going to achieve what we need it to achieve for the nhs for the next you know 70 years one of the things that we've noticed is lots of quality improvement works going on and there's loads of training out there but it's for band six upwards it's for doctors and senior nurses there's very little for people in band two three four and five and that's because it's felt that the there's too many training courses the language can be quite intimidating the documentation can feel overwhelming Whereas actually 15S30M, there's no documentation. You don't have to start rewriting protocols. It's something that you can take away today and start today. So you said that this is um, an initiative for staff at all grades right across the NHS. But I was wondering if you've had any groups who are particularly more engaged than others. It feels like we've had a really good different spread from, you know, therapy services, divisional managers, uh, nurses, medical secretaries, porters, you know, 
a really good mix of stuff i would say i think the it guys um surprised yeah. me the most um so they came in with tons of great ideas and um, frequently they're asked to send out forms for permission to access you know a, a u drive or uh, for access to various programs um and on the form it says um uh, return this uh, to, with your line manager signature well, people don't know who their level three line manager is. And they said, well, we've got the list. So actually, as the, we're sending the form out, if we copy in the line, the level three line manager, then they'll know who the right person is to ask to authorise the form. That will save the person who's filling the form loads of time. And it will also save IT frustration in having to send the form out again to say you've not got the right person to sign it almost like we're sending them on a on a secret mission we're not going to tell you who needs to authorize the form we're going to let you try and work it out yourself they came up with a couple of ideas like that that were just they sensed the frustration of people ringing them up with queries and went well actually it's totally within our gift to make this less frustrating so why wouldn't we Okay, so there's no documentation, there's no protocol. So how do you know that it's actually making a difference? How do you go about measuring it? So measurement is a problem, we know. Um, my story is that uh, you still buy your child a birthday present every year, even though you haven't measured how joyous, joyful they find it. Uh, there are some things that are just make sense and we, we, we should just give it a go. We do do a little um, frustration score within some of our um, missions. So there was one in um, an eye clinic uh, to do with um, creating these boxes to put the equipment in at the end of clinics so it was ready for the next clinic. And we just asked the, the nurses um, at the beginning of each day, how frustrating do you find setting up clinics? out of five and then introduce the boxes and asked again and there's a huge drop in their frustration score um, before or after so there's very simple ways of measuring you can look at whole organization um, measures but they're really difficult because they're to, evidence has proven it's really difficult to to show how an individual's joy can impact on the whole organization. Um, but there are, um, there's Improve Well, it does a little app, there's a Fabometer. So have you had a good day, um, an average day or a bad um, or a bad day? There are ways of measuring it that way. Um, but really what we found is it's an individuals, you can see how they are performing differently. Some of our heroes um, are now feel empowered to just get on and do something that they can see needs doing. Like Rachel says, you know, there's a real, um, it's just making sure that that methodology and that way of thinking is just spread throughout the organisations of just that, uh, the aims of 15S, 30M, doing something for somebody else. But then trying to look at it on a trust-wide thing, as Rachel mentioned about, but looking at more qualitative measures. So trying to get the information back from patients as well to make sure that the staff feel more joy, but with an ultimate um, aim to make sure that patients' experience is also affected in a positive way. Do you think that the QI approach has disempowered people a bit from doing some of these things that you do in 15S30M because it's not measurable, it's not done with a set methodology? Absolutely. Mm. I think one of the problems is that um, people feel they have to have QI training before they can start, that uh, if it doesn't fit into the QI um, having a driver diagram, those things are very, very important. But actually some things you can start without that if it just feels intuitive this is the right thing to do and that's part of a pdsa cycle is we'll try it and if it doesn't work we'll try something else i, I do worry that people feel that they aren't the right person to do change because they haven't they aren't the nominated change agent in their area they aren't the nominated qi lead therefore that's someone else's job we're trying to to 
we're not trying to get rid of that because that's really, really important for the bigger, higher level, you know, lean processing and changing um, overall, I suppose, pathways. That's really, really important. But that, as you say, it might actually detract from the little everyday stuff mm -hmm. that everyone can do. And that's really where we saw there was a gap that we've, we've gone for. And it reminds me, Rachel, of a conversation we had on Friday about, um, you know, quality improvement has been in other organisations for, forever. And it's just business as usual. You know, in healthcare, we seem to have made it into a particular programme itself. Uh, and, and we wonder if sometimes that maybe, maybe detract people's attraction with it. I just wanted to ask you both about the word joy. It's not really a word that you hear a lot when you hear people talking about working in the NHS. What do you say to people who will say to you, I don't come into work to find joy, I just come into work to do my job? I agree. I think it, I think it's often a word that has got lost uh, in NHS and in, in healthcare or in any workplace. Because I talk about joy in work a lot since I've been doing this. And even when I talk to family and friends, they go, well, well what do you actually mean but I guess it's coming back to when the staff come to our workshops you know we ask them that questions and it really takes them back to basic to say so why do you work here so you know because actually there is something that you must be doing you must like some aspect of that or you must remember what a good day is and um, so it's so a lot of interesting conversations kind of come from that as doctors you can I can feel in front of me in clinic 20 times a day when I've made a difference but perhaps a, a receptionist a secretary somebody in IT doesn't have that golden thread they can't see when they make a difference so again another part of the workshop is um some little cog um, exercise we do which shows them how one 15 second action here has a knock-on effect for sometimes dozens of people and actually that's part of our sustainability um, aspect is realising that this one action does have a knock-on effect on patients even though they don't see it happening and if doing one 15 second action is that thing in the day where they think do you know what I know I've made a difference well how how can that be wrong how can that be the wrong thing it's interesting this makes me reflect on other work that's been done about values um, and how connecting with the values of what why people do work helps drive change and 15s 30m fits really well with that the flip side of this is we know that there are places in the NHS where staff are really unhappy um, and we know that's a really important indicator of where an organisation is struggling. We now know that the Mid-Staff staff survey, for example, was showing negative trends before it ever started having an impact on patient outcomes. So it's really important to think not that we should increase joy, but we should also be aware of um, the risk of a lack of joy or an absence of joy. I'd like to come back, if we can, to the COG exercises. So one of the kickoff pieces in our QI series was about systems and complexity in healthcare. So how does 15S30M actually help people think about things in that way? When we uh, first started thinking about what would actually happen in a workshop, uh, Rachel and myself were really keen that actually we did something visual that the staff could physically see. So we actually bought some actual uh, kids, kids' toy sets, which were COGs, uh, which we've now learned to set up before uh, one of the workshops because it takes them quite some time. Uh, just to physically see. So we just gave an example um, and we just did a fun one to begin with just to, so that they really could see the knock-on effect. So one of the examples we gave was that it was winter at the time. So we just imagined that, you know, if you put some, uh, you know, windscreen paper, uh, uh, um, newspaper on your windscreen in your car before you go to bed, and then you were on the road quicker, what would be the knock-on effects? And they had to stick the little stickies, uh, notes onto the cogs so they could see by doing that that they'd be on the road earlier. Uh, they'd be in a car park 
quicker. They might see an email, which means that uh, there's a problem in theatre, so you can sort that out earlier. And it means that the patients then run to time on schedule in theatre, patients discharge quicker. Uh, we have a joke that it always comes back to car parking within the NHS, so it means a car park space is released quicker and so on. And then we would physically turn the cogs around so they could see just by spending 15 seconds on a task has this huge knock-on effect for patients. That one was a really particular interesting one because as we've been doing these and generating the ideas, sometimes all the missions that they've launched have not been within an actual workplace. It has been something that they've done at home uh, before they come to work, but that has actually increased joy at work uh, by doing so. I guess one thing that's running through my mind as we hear about this is, is that there's something about doing something simple that will make your working life better getting your parking space earlier or whatever but the idea of doing something that makes a difference for someone else I think you're asking for a lot of altruism there and we already expect a lot of that from people in the NHS thinking about patients are you just asking them to spend more discretionary effort so that other people don't have to try as hard or work as hard and it might be discretionary effort but one of the things we do in the workshop again is say to people how long do you think 15 seconds is and, and they ask, ask them to stand up and then sit down when they think 15 seconds is over and even if you're only doing four missions a day which is far more than we're asking people to do four a day would add one minute to your working day one minute and so even if at the start as we're getting going there aren't other people doing their missions that will pay back to you it's been one minute added to your day and you go away knowing that you've done something to help someone else so I totally take your point is that um, this is a very altruistic thing, but the people attending the workshop have, um, we haven't invited people to come, people have requested to attend. And that's one of the important principles we've had at the start is that this is not in everyone's job plan. This is not as part of an annual appraisal. There's not a mandatory 15S, 30M, you know, tick box. This is people coming to us saying, we'd like to find out more. We think we've got some ideas. Can you help us make them? And it also depends on on the you know if that's if their idea is to um, I think I need to rewrite and change the patient access policy. Well, that is that is not a good mission. That is not the kind of mission we're asking them to do because we do get up and we do get that question and that that challenge a lot. Oh, there's no time. I don't have any time. Well. You actually do, because these are the challenges we want you to put in. So what makes a good mission? We have a bit of fun with it and we ask them to think TARDIS. So is it something you can do today? Is it something that's a little extra time? Is it something that reduces frustrations you don't need permission to do? Does it increase joy and can you share it? If it ticks all those boxes and it's only going to take you a small amount of time, um, those are the perfect missions that we're asking you to do. The small changes on the ground, which then affects the, the wider culture by small changes with big benefits. We have a great example from our board. Um, we, When the virus attack came um, a year or so ago, uh, over the weekend, all the PCs were shut down and had new um, virus software installed. And a couple of the exec team came in on a Sunday and spent 15 seconds logging into computers with their own login so that the update could happen so that then on Monday morning when staff walked through the door, the computers would be ready to go. They wouldn't then have to wait half an hour for the update to happen. But the exact team did it thousands and thousands of times. They just went round department after department and logged in and moved on and logged in and moved on and logged in. And that, that wasn't going to benefit that member of the exec team at all. 
but they appreciated that if we don't get the clinic reception PCs up and running for eight o'clock on Monday morning, then the whole place was going to absolutely grind to a standstill. So people are thinking of these things, but don't realise that they themselves can get them up and running. That is a brilliant example, Dan. I'm really pleased that you use the word culture. And Rachel, your example was a one-off mission and, and hopefully that's what a wanna-cry attack is. Hopefully it's not going to be repeated. But it's not like another type of QI work where you're looking at generating long-term sustainable change in practice or policy. And Dan, you said that policy is not a good mission and protocols don't make good missions. So it seems like this is actually about changing attitudes and culture change rather than the missions and the 15S, 30M activities in and of themselves. That's absolutely what we feel. I mean, that's what a social movement is about, isn't it? Um, we know there's lots of people out there who've got the right ideas but don't know how to put them into motion, uh, that people want to come to work to do a good job. People don't want to come to work to be obstructive or to make things difficult. A lot of what's gone on with um, lean processing and department efficiencies has turned us into people who work just in our little area and don't see outside. I suppose we're not trying to undo the lean processing. We're just saying, but actually, if you just think what happens next to this piece of paper, what could I do that would make it a bit easier for the next person? If it's just writing down a patient's mobile number, if we're listing them for surgery, so it's on the form. So my secretary then has that number. She doesn't have to go and search or ring the GP. If on an electronic patient record, it's about clicking about the patient's allergies. So if that patient then comes in out of hours, we know the allergy status. We're not having to try and look for it or ring the GP or wait for someone to call us back. And actually, this will just fit in with everyday life. And lots of people are doing it, doing it already. We know that Dan and I are only Dan and I and we can't sustain it ourselves. We need to find the 15 second, 30 minute heroes in every organisation. I imagine a lot of people come out of your workshops and they feel really enthusiastic and they want to make changes. But after a few months, things kind of go back to the way that they were. How can you make sure that these changes actually have some longevity? So part of that is the coaching element. So we go back and visit people who've been to the workshop um, where they are and say, how is it going? Is it working? Is it not working? How can we make change? What other ideas have you thought of? Most staff after the workshop think of another idea that they've been able to put in motion Um that certainly some of the heroes, so you become a hero if you've had um, an idea, a mission, you've put it into action and someone else is copying it. There's a gentleman um, in notes prep who, he's if you cut him in half, he'd have 15S, 30M running through him. He's just <laughs> absolutely brilliant. And week after week, he has ideas of how he and his staff can make things a bit easier for other people um, and continually brings it within team meetings. So some people absolutely get this and just feel so empowered to make it happen. We're, we are very young, really. We're only at that sixth month, sixth month period now. We know that some of it is the making it stick um, is the, the most challenging element of it. But we feel that if we really get a social movement rolling um, and it becomes part of the language of quality improvement um it, it would just it um people will be reminded of it regularly and that's why twitter is so so powerful in this sort of thing um is that people have a regular little ting in their inbox of reminding them and they think oh yeah i could try that or i'll have a go at the at something different or oh, i understand why this matters why this could make such a difference and it really spurs them on this might be a hard one to answer, but have you guys had any missteps or made any mistakes along the oh, way? Oh, I could write you a book. Oh, yeah. 
we've started drafting one up actually. <laughs> um, so I think. Um, so it, it doesn't work if at a workshop you have an entire team because that turns into a team yeah. meeting and they're not missions. They are how we're going to redesign our student pack. How are we going to change referrals? It, that, that doesn't work. Having people from different areas. Um, we've been very keen not to use QI language. Um, as soon as you start talking QI language to band two, three, four people, they, they glaze over, they worry, they think, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. So we've talked about joy, but if we look more widely at well-being, some frustrations we've been hearing about from our readers is actually about the resilience movement, you know, telling doctors and medical students that they just have to be more resilient. Um, so why is the emphasis on individual doctors when it's a system that's actually causing problems? And so how does 15S, 30M fit into that? Are you just pushing it back onto individuals? Senior leaders need to be mindful that Everyone needs to feel empowered to make change. And that is part of your resilience is if you go to work every day being put into a system that you know doesn't work and you know that the people leading you know it doesn't work, then that is really, really grinding. It takes away from the joy that comes from knowing you've treated a patient well or actually you don't think you've treated a patient as well as you could have done because of the system that you're in. So, Resilience needs to come from within the organisation. We need to make resilient organisations in which people can thrive. If you're working in a system where everyone feels that they know they can do something to make it a little bit better, to make it easier for the next person, then actually all of a sudden, if you are having a bad day, as we all do, that little gift of kindness is the thing that can just make you think, okay, that makes me feel like I can come back because it's not going to be like this every day. There is something I can do to make a difference. And I think that's where resilience, the resilience comes. It's empowering. It's releasing value. It's not about going the extra mile. It's absolutely not about that. It's about releasing value in people so they can express who they are and be the best version of themselves at work rather than feel trapped in knowing this isn't this isn't the right way to do it but I don't know how to get my idea out how who I would speak to in order to do things in a different way. Like Rachel said we've, we've, um, we've done a lot of this aimed at the kind of bands two to, to five staff you know saying that you can make a difference and you don't need permission but we've tried to pin some movement that as well by going in at the top and we've presented to our exec team so our medical directors on board and our chief nurse is actually one of our uh, 15S30M heroes um, so that staff can see that they are bought into it as well and actually oh, well if, if they if they say it's fine as well we shouldn't need that in, in the NHS but unfortunately we do get that but we've just tried to do both bits so the staff can say they're absolutely perfectly within their own rights to go off and make those changes because they know what it means on the ground. Thank you very much, Dan and Rachel, for taking the time to talk to us today. If you want to find out more information about the initiative, you can find them on Twitter at 15S30M. That's all for this podcast, but you can find all of the BMJ podcast back catalogue on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you haven't done so already, then do subscribe to keep up to date with our latest podcast and please do rate and review us as well. And watch out for our Facebook Live wellbeing event, which is going to be happening at 8pm on Wednesday, the 8th of August. We'll be talking about rotors, payslips, all the annoying things that tick you off about your HR department. So give it a watch. <laughs>